It's time to experience Thrill of the Hunt, a collector's podcast. Hey, kid, you want a toy? What do the man know about toys? Action figures each sold separately. Batteries not included. With Kung Fu Grip, the hands that grip. I have three of each, one to display, one to open, and one just in case. Why do you keep all your toys in boxes? How do you play with them? I don't. <laughs> I collect them. You're not a collector's item. You're a child's plaything. You are a toy! Some figures and playsets for ages six and up. Way up! Hey everybody, it's Chris here and welcome to another episode of Thrill of the Hunt podcast. Your podcast about toys and collectibles. I'm here with my good buddy and co-host Brian. Brian, how are you doing? Doing well, Chris. Excited for another episode, our episode number two, which we have titled, to give a little bit of a teaser for what you're about to hear, Where Have All the Toy Stores Gone? I know that was sad. That was my attempt to try and sing, guys. I did sing back in high school, but that was a very long time ago in a city about 650 miles away. So <laughs> let, let's get started by what we like to do and what we'll do from now on at the beginning of our episodes to kind of tell what we've hunted down in the last few weeks since the last time you heard from us. That's a good way to kick it off, I think. So what have you hunted down, Brian? Well, the most recent thing I have hunted down has actually been through eBay because I have been following my social distancing guidelines. And the item I actually got on eBay was something I'm a big fan of outside of Turtles. Uh, TMNT and Star Wars, obviously, is I'm a big fan of Hellboy. And Hellboy in the sense of the comics, I tend to have a, 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 a uh, love for the, the loudmouth, do-it-on-your-own kind of characters. Let's see, Wolverine, Hellboy, Raphael. A little bit of a theme there, right? But with, uh, with Hellboy and the Mezco line, and I still love Mezco. Mezco is still going strong, still a great toy company. But they did some phenomenal figures back in 04 and 05 that were tied into both the comic book look as well as the original film that came out. I'm sure a lot of you remember with Ron Perlman, directed by Academy Award winning Guillermo del Toro, one of my favorite directors. It was a really fun film. Obviously, it was a little loose on its connection to the comics, which is okay. It's how things are done sometimes to kind of match the different venue and the different audience, different medium. But the figure that I bought was Gentle Giant, actually. Not Mezco, which is more so known for Hellboy, but Gentle Giant made a very small wave of figures that are pretty hard to hunt down. They're not easily found, at least now. And they basically did about a case. And in that case, you had a couple of figures based off of the Hellboy movie look with Ron Perlman, not the most recent film, which I am a fan of, by the way. It was the look of both regular Hellboy with his, with his big boy gun and everything. And then there was one, Anungun Rama, which is with the full horns grown out. Also, they did an animated look of Hellboy and his partner with the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, uh, Abe Sapien. And they did a couple animated films, which actually Ron Perlman voiced, uh, along with a lot of the original cast of the first films. In those animated versions, they also made, a, which you don't see very often, a two-scale for the seven-inch figures 
a loose article of clothing, something you'd normally find with like dolls, right? Or, or Migos where you'd find clothing packages and things like that, right? But for the Hellboy, they made his infamous trench coat, his canvas looking trench coat. And with all the right uh, etchings and drawings on it and patches, and it was available in a poly bag with your nice little cardboard top. Very 80s style feel to it, right? You can only get it with a case of the Gentle Giant figures. And I was able to talk to a guy through eBay to not only buy one of those figures, but get one of those original trench coats. And that was my really excitable moment over the last couple of weeks was getting that in the mail the other day. And it is beautiful. And I can now display that on all the different versions of my 7-inch Hellboys because they work for all of them. So that's my geek out moment for a latest toy find that I had. Yeah, that's really cool. And you mentioned General Giant. Now, of course, Diamond Collectibles, as they were purchased, what, close to a year and a half ago, two years? Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. But that's, that's an awesome find. Yeah, I was super excited about it. And I got to say, the gentleman I worked with to buy from online was awesome. He was a fellow collector. He had an original fresh case of these. And he was opening them up. He found them. And he was just starting to sell them off individually. And I said, hey, do you happen to have one of those trench coats? And he's like, I do. He's like, I'll do you one. I'll throw it in there for just 20 bucks more. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's a great story. Those are always nice when you kind of get a collector that's willing to help you out like that. Really cool. You know, for me, you know, you're talking about a little bit older item. Mine are going to be more modern items. So in the last show, I kind of talked about wanting to find the next wave, which is wave four, Power Rangers Lightning Collection, but Mighty Morphin Yellow and Blue Zeo. So I did get those through Amazon. Great. The only thing I'll say is, is on the Zeo one. And of course, this is uh, kind of constructive criticism here, Hasbro. Your paint apps, not always the same. So I think consistency on the paint app. So the Zeo, mine is pretty good. There's a couple spots, but not too bad. I have to still track down the SPD Red Ranger. And then I went ahead and that Gundam line that I told you about, man, I just can't stop myself there. I got the Gundam. It's the RX-0 Unicorn Gundam from the Unicorn series, which is actually part of the original Gundam timeline because there's obviously different timelines there, but this is actually part of the original timeline. So I got that. So I'm kind of complete on Gundam Universe as far as the ones I'm going to get. There's two more in that wave that I'm not real fans of, so I'm not going to get those two. But Brian, I did a thing. And I can't say that I've got this yet, but I did a thing. What did you do? I have pre-ordered from Japan the SH Figure Arts Mandalorian and Beskar Armor and the Child. Where's the pre-order? I need to know about this. So the pre-order I got was through, it's a place called CD Japan. Now I kind of found out about this a little bit later. Knowing that they were out there, I hunted for them. And AmiAmi, which is a good place to go and get stuff for import, they were already pre-sold out. And there was a second company, and I'm drawing a blank on the name, and I've ordered stuff from there before. It's where I got my Yoda SH Figure Arts. They were pre-sold out as well. The next suggestion was to go to Amazon Japan. And I, I just didn't want to mess with setting up an Amazon Japan account. So I found another place, CD Japan, through a tip on a, from a friend and was able to pre-order them there. So it wasn't too bad. It's about 35 for the child and about 70 for the Mandalorian plus shipping. So it'll be a little bit over 100 
with the shipping in there, but I'm really happy about that purchase. I may or may not be going to that website right now and trying to order one. Live <laughs> 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 on this show. This is the effect that collecting has on you. Yeah. I am literally, and it is still available. It is still available. Yeah. So if you want to go there and, and Amazon Japan too. So if you order stuff through Amazon Japan, it was still available uh, as of yesterday. I haven't checked it today. So that's pretty cool that you have. For only 10,500 yen, it could be mine right yes. now. And I can earn extra points towards whatever reward system that this website has that I've never seen before. This is dangerous. Well, talk about dangerous. I think I'm starting to become a child focus collector because, you know, <laughs> I'm on the fence about ordering the deluxe hot toys version with where he comes Ooh. in the, the best car armor and the child because I have. What about the scout trooper set? Did you see nah, that today? Yeah, I saw. I like it, but it's. I like it's, the face it's on, a little, on that child. Yeah, but the, the scout trooper, the speeder bike, it's a little bit more space than I want to give. The nice thing about the other one is it's a, it's a little bit smaller. I don't need quite as much display space. And I have some sideshow points, so it would, you know, it would knock off a third of the cost for me. But I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Well, you know you can pay in installments. No, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the good thing about I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing about Sideshow and Hot Toys is – you know what? You don't have to pay it all now. Just pay a small down payment of about 20 to $70. And then in four and five easy payments, this can be yours. It, I mean, it just feels like, you know, it's like QVC. It really is. They kind of make it easy. And the other thing you can always count on, and I'm not knocking Hot Toys at all because they put out a tremendous product. They knock it out of the park almost all of the time. But you can guarantee that it's not going to come on time. I don't think any Hot Toy that I've gotten, and I think... Between my wife and I, we have three. So I have two Yoda versions, and she's got the BB-8. None of them arrived on time. Yeah, sideshow stuff. I mean, and, it, you know, typically, you know, it's not as bad as my wife can tell you a story about something she ordered from Mondo. And for those folks who don't know who Mondo is, Mondo is an art gallery and kind of, you know, kind of also a, it's not just an art gallery, but they make figures. They do a lot of cool stuff. It kind of reminds me a little bit of McFarlane when he was first starting out, but it's centered out of Austin, Texas. And uh, they're also known, especially in the Star Wars community, for doing the Alamo House uh, glasses uh, for a lot of the Star Wars movie releases. It's probably what the Star Wars community will know them for um, and some of the collector community, but also they're well known for their artists that they work with and do prints and posters on. And they usually have a very low run of 100 to 300 and there are variant posters and if you ever look for those online on ebay they usually resell at ridiculous prices and their artist is gorgeous but they also do make figures they've done some very specific lines like they've done the four turtles from tmnt a six scale they also have done an iron giant highly detailed version they do a lot of very specific enamel pins vinyl record art all kinds of stuff but the point is, Mondo made a very cool statue of Groot, full-size Groot, and Rocket. It took two years, Chris, I'm not kidding, two years from when we ordered it to when we received it. I believe it. My Yoda, I think, got delayed like three different times. So my, I should say my original trilogy Yoda, the prequel one that Hot Toys did, that one was, I think, only a month. So that one wasn't too bad. 
But, you know, in Mondo, I have some friends that get posters from there and they say that you have to be on there and you just have to be lucky because they go so fast with Mondo stuff. But with Sideshow, what I think is interesting is you have Sideshow, which does their own line. And I have some Yoda Sideshow figures and they're selling SH figure arts for Marvel now, which I thought was fantastic. I really, really, really wish that there would be a little relaxing of the Star Wars license and that we could get SH figure arts over here in the U.S. without having to go to a third party to get them because that drives up the cost a little bit. And I know a couple of the online fan channel stores carry them, but they usually tack on a premium. I'm hoping someday that we can get the Star Wars SH figure arts, but they have the Marvel ones, which I thought was great. And SH figure arts, they're fantastic figures. I have a couple of those. Of course, I have the Green Ranger and the White Ranger. And then I, I have the, the Yoda one that they've done. They're fantastic. But Sideshow is kind of, it seems like they're becoming a distributor for a little bit of everything. One of my grail items for my collections, and, and something you'll get to know about me is another character I'm really big on, much like Chris is on Yoda. I love Yoda as well. I do have the life-size Yoda statue um, from the Pessy promotion for Revenge Sith. So I definitely do have a special place in my heart for Yoda. But also, it's Qui-Gon Jinn is a really big, big fan of his. So much that I've already bought a minibus off of Chris once. I also have always wanted to hunt down that SH figure art, but it was a Japan exclusive, and you couldn't buy it in America or from America. You couldn't buy it. And easily going into third parties or getting someone to buy it for you in Japan it's still going to run you up to about $350. That's the same price as the child hot toys life size to put that in perspective for you guys. And we're talking a six inch highly posable SH figure arts Bandai figure. So, I mean, it just tells you that the licenses matter when it comes to these toy companies like I was talking about on our previous show about TMNT and NECA and what they're doing with those lines, they have to be very careful about how they sell those figures. They have to sell them very limited quantities in a very specific place because Playmates owns all the major licensing for making that scale of figure. That's the situation here is that Hasbro owns the license for that scale of figure, which is why SH Figure Arts can't be sold in the u.s so they can make them in japan and you can import them but they can't sell them in the united states because of hasbro having that license for the for the six inch because i think sh figure arts are about five and a half inches if i'm not mistaken so they're they're close to that six inch scale and i think hasbro kind of has a lockdown on pretty much all those scales i mean we've seen over the past few years hasbro's tried about everything from the one inch scale all the way up to 12 inch scale but what I find interesting, Brian, is we're talking about a lot of our purchases and a lot of what we've obtained is online, which kind of leads us to our main section that we want to talk about. And that's where have all the toy stores gone? Where have they gone, right? I mean, obviously, we have small comic shops and specialty stores. And what we're liking to coin now is vintage toy stores or vintage collectible stores, not to be confused with your classic vintage furniture and vintage historical kind of stores where you have a mix of a lot of different things. I think we're now starting to see a very niche way of getting the things that we like. And that's what's replaced the gaping hole in our hearts that left, especially, you know, with most recently, I think the most 
hurtful moment, I think, was Toys R Us closing. I can't tell you how many times you and I were back and forth talking to each other as we were kind of going to these dead carcasses of stores, you know, as they were slowly dying over three months of going out of business. And, you know, it was just a slow, painful death that we saw in reality. But, you know, it was a microcosm for the bigger thing that was going on, which was all of the department stores that have slowly gone away. And it wasn't just Toys R Us. I mean, there have been plenty before that, huh? Yeah, there's been a slew of them that have kind of gone away. I mean, going back into, I think you can go back into the 60s and 70s. So obviously Toys R Us, but you have KB Toys, FAO Schwartz, which was bought by Toys R Us, Child's World slash Palace, and then Circus World, which was bought by the parent company, which owned KB Toys. And of course, all of those kind of got smaller and smaller. And then Toys R Us was kind of like the last hurrah. Obviously, now they're not around. There's been talk of Toys R Us coming back. There's been talk of KB coming back because somebody owns the name to that. I honestly don't know how they would be able to come back in the same format. I think it would be a much smaller, much more niche. They'd have to really kind of focus on what they want to sell and their customer base. But it's interesting. So a lot of people have affinity for these other toy stores. Now, for me, I know KB and I know Toys R Us. You know, those have been a part of my life for a while. I didn't really find KB until I was kind of in my late teens, early 20s, kind of when the Star Wars line was being revived. Now, I grew up as a Navy brat. So my parents bought our stuff from the Navy Exchange. And here's another blast from the past. The Sears and JC Penney catalogs or wish books, as we called them back in the days that we would spend hours looking at. I remember the JC Penney's book. I always dug into that sucker. I, I do remember the wish books. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the way my parents kind of got our toys back in the day. We didn't really have, you know, other than Toys R Us near a military base. So I don't really remember those other ones, but I did have the opportunity to live in Australia and Japan. And I think I got my love of Japanese toys and kind of those kinds of things when I lived there, even though I was just a small kid, I was there in the mid eighties. But seeing all those Japanese toys really had an impact on me. I just love those toys. And the stuff that comes out of Japan is really, really cool even now. And of course, you know, we have things like Ultraman, which is popular on Netflix right now. You have Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which comes from Super Sentai, Common Riders. So they've really kind of had an influence. And of course, Transformers. Transformers, not a line that I'm huge in. But some of the history of Transformers really starts in Japan. Yep, robots in disguise. Um, I have, I still actually have, I don't think I've told you this, I think somewhere, either had it or still have it somewhere in the midst of, of all the boxes that I have of my collection. I think I had the original Bumblebee, like the, do you remember the really small G1 Transformers? The really smaller ones that they're trying to bring back with the retro look and the packaging in the stores now? But I had the Bumblebee, and I think I had Starscream. I remember those two. And I had, I think, a Transformers lunchbox. I was big into the lunchboxes when I was a kid. I had a Transformers lunchbox. I had a Turtles lunchbox. I had a real Ghostbusters lunchbox. By the way, I still have the Turtles. And another thing I still have, Chris, is a G.I. Joe lunchbox. Nice. Those, those are really cool. I remember having a G.I. Joe lunchbox at some point. 
I do remember that bumblebee. I kind of was that the one that you could pull back and it would kind of yes. go on its own. Yeah, yes. I did That's have that exactly one, it. but I didn't have a lot of transformers. We were the other side of the fence. We had the GoBots. We had the GoBots, and we even had the big. It looks like an ATAT walker. It's clearly fashioned after that, but that big command center, which is a big robot that looks, you know, on four legs. So yeah, we kind of went the GoBot route. You know, we have those memories growing up. I'm sure you have memories of going to these stores and or these these catalog services and that's all gone now yeah things have really changed i mean we're now shifting like you said to a more online dynamic mixed in with specialty stores that are trying to fit that niche interest of the older collector like ourselves that want to go out and kind of relive that childhood experience and what we've so coined the title of our podcast the thrill of the hunt trying to find it on your own in person to kind of because that's half the fun, isn't it, really, is the joy of finding it in the wild, you know, of being able to say, hey, I found it, you know, I'm holding it in my hand, and I get to make that decision rather than saying window shopping on uh, the internet. Absolutely. I prefer the thrill of the hunt. It's not the same getting a box and seeing it's going to ship. I mean, when you get it in your hand, you're like, this is still cool, but there's something to be said for going on an old-fashioned toy run, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm going to find something, and you know, I don't do those as often as I used to now. Obviously, we're not doing it right now in our current situation. But, you know, back in the day, I used to go for toy run. My wife and I would get in the car and we'd spend a whole day and you knew you were going to find something. You knew that you would find something somewhere, right? Now you could go all day and not find something. So it's a little different. You kind of have to be strategic. And obviously now perseverance, if you're shopping in store is the name of the game especially because if you're not there right when they open and you're in a race with the, I'll say nicely, resellers. <laughs> you can, you uh, that, can say it. I'm you know, okay with scalpers. Scalpers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I get it. I get, I understand it when you have items that you've had for a long time that you're ready to part with and you want them to go to a new home. I get that. But when you're going out and buying things that have just released just so you can resell it that same day, when it's still readily available from the original retailer, that's, I mean, yeah, it plays to the great American capitalist ideal, but it doesn't, it doesn't work to the community that has worked so hard to build that industry. So I think it's finding that fine line between, am I going to be a fan and a collector or am I going to be a reseller that somewhat collects things, you know, and finding that, that line of where you are in the sand. I feel like Chris and I have pretty much put our line in the sand on that, but I know a lot of collectors kind of, you know, can switch back and forth on their feelings and rightfully so everybody has a right to their own thought and opinion. But for us, at least that that's kind of the way we roll. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm just not a fan of, of buying stuff to resell right away. You know, I like to see collectors get it. I like to help other collectors. I like it when collectors help me. I kind of lean that way. I, I, you know, I think we've made it pretty clear where we stand on the issue. I think so. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because we talk about going to stores and that's, that's changed a lot. I mean, especially when, you know, you had Amazon that kind of started to shift out of doing books and starting to get into other things, which has absolutely become a giant. And a lot of people order from Amazon now. Well, and what a lot of people may not know about Amazon in reference to toy stores and Toys R Us is that Toys R Us decided in the very beginning, Amazon went to them 
and wanted to work with Toys R Us. And they told Toys R Us that they would sell all of their online merchandise. And Toys R Us was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, we're, we're not really doing anything with our website. So a lot of people think that kind of was part of the, the beginning of the end for Toys R Us when they decided, hey, sure, Amazon, you can sell the toys online. You know, we'll let you have that, that area. You know, and then finally when Toys R Us decided, oh, we should sell stuff online, they were way behind the game. And I think that's a, a bit of history that a lot of folks may not know about the history of that relationship between Amazon and Toys R Us. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. That's absolutely true. And, you know, you've also heard the term innovator die. And this completely applies to Toys R Us because they didn't seize the opportunity when everyone else was starting to see that online market develop. They lagged behind. I also think, too, that their pricing structure was a little higher than, say, your Targets and Walmarts. Now, I understand that they focus strictly on toys, and they might not be able to drive down those costs as much as a Walmart or a Target. However, I think in some cases, they started to kind of price themselves out of things. And I know for a while they had a price match policy, but I think that eventually went away. Exactly. And another thing I was thinking about these toy stores is similar to what's going on right now with bookstores which obviously are the, the next couple of things that are, are kind of following in suit, which is the larger issue right now of big box store retail in, in general. If you're not a mass market store like the major chains like Walmart and Target, you know, where are you left behind? And I'm thinking about uh, Barnes & Noble, and I'm thinking about how you just mentioned about how pricing, you know, the product, overpricing it and not matching what's going on. That's a great example of one that's doing that with books and with records and movies and, and things like that. Best Buy, I think of another industry right there, films, TV, electronics, that they're starting to, they need to find ways, like you said, to innovate or they're going to fall in the same history that toy stores have gone through. You know, And I don't see niche electronics stores popping up. I think that you know, we are moving more towards a, an entirely online service, you know, and it, obviously it can sustain the entire nation. It's doing it right now uh, during the situation we're under with COVID-19. You brought up some great points there about other areas. Obviously, we're seeing some of the big retail giants struggle. JCPenney, Macy's, Sears is pretty much dead. Kmart is gone. Neiman Marcus, those kinds of places struggle. And how many electronics places, like you mentioned, have gone out of business? Radio Shack, Circuit City. We talk about channels to get stuff. What you've seen is the fan channel. So those are your entertainment earths, your big bad toy stores, your dorkside toys. And there's some other smaller ones around that you can go to that have popped up and are serving that need now. And they usually do a pretty good job of getting stuff out there. The costs are pretty reasonable. And you can go through them now to do your pre-orders and stuff like that. So that channel has really come about, I think, because of using the internet, but also the death of the big box stores, other than Target and Walmart, who have obviously really increased their presence in the toy market. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's like Chris and I have talked about before, you know, in an ideal world, we would love to have a toy store to run. But, you know, in an industry that we continue to follow that, you know, we're such fans of. You know, it's hard to be a business owner in a field that is, you know, for lack of a better term, dying. 
in, in the sense of a larger view. And like we've been talking about, you know, it needs to reinvent itself and reorganize and refocus on the audience that is purchasing. And that's why you're seeing, like we've talked about in a previous show, HasLab and Kickstarter type things going on to try and see where your audience is and seeing how successful those are will drive how the larger company refocuses its um, selling goals and its product development. So uh, I think it will be interesting to see the dynamic change in this industry moving forward. May it be these small toy stores become popular and continue to be successful, or we see a change to a newer look to a, maybe a chain toy store that's not as many, but maybe, you know, one in each state. You know, like I know that Toys R Us is trying to reinvent itself with True Kids, and they have one store in, I think, what is it, one in New York and one in Vegas? Or I, I can't remember exactly where they opened their first new store. I'm not sure on where they did. But, but I, know- I know they're going to be opening one in Houston. I did read about that in the Galleria. Yeah. They're trying to reinvent themselves. And like I said a little earlier, we'll see how they do that. I think they really kind of need to narrow the focus a little bit if they're going to be successful. We've talked about it before, us owning our own toy store. And kind of what happens though is that the overhead cost of owning a physical store is just hard nowadays. So those places that are doing it, more power to them. You know, right now it's got to be really hurting them. But those are the kinds of places that we like to support and go out there and, and buy stuff from. It's just cool to go see it. And a lot of them have vintage, but it seems like a lot of those places have even moved to doing online. Welcome back, everybody, to Displaying Your Collection. This month, I kind of wanted to expand on a tip I gave last month. If you recall, last month, I talked about creating extra space for your displays. And if you remember, I said that I use that space for a diorama. A way to punch up your dioramas is at the base, you can actually get some fabric and cover that board to make it look like whatever scene you're trying to mimic. So if you're trying to do a snow scene, you can get some white fabric or you can get some of that rollout snow during Christmas time. If you're trying to do a desert scene like I have with the Java sail barge, you can get some sand colored fabric. If you're trying to do a jungle or grass, you could get maybe a brown or or a green. It just depends on what you want to do. But it's a simple, inexpensive way to punch up your diorama display. A good amount of fabric is only going to cost you a few dollars. You can get them at a craft store or the craft section at Walmart. I hope you found this tip useful. I'll be back next month with another Displaying Your Collection tip. I think it's interesting too that you have some of these other places that have kind of gotten into the game kind of stuck a foot in the door so for instance your walgreens your GameStop, you know if we're talking about funko pops you can get them at books a million barnes and noble barnes and noble in toys too you know they've they've all kind of stuck their foot out there to see can we do it but also you have companies like funko that are selling their own product hasbro now with hasbro pulse directly selling their own product hasbro pulses I think only a couple years old and now they're selling directly instead of having to go through these, you know, Target, Walmart, all these places. And I think that's a direct result of Toys R Us going under. Absolutely. And that's what makes me think about a couple of things that have changed. One thing that I think about mostly is how the idea, like you said, a pre-order straight from the actual distributor and the creator of the product, like Hasbro Pulse, 
but also I think of the smaller toy companies, like you mentioned, Funko selling straight from there and actually building brick and mortar shops. Two companies I can think of right now, Funko and Super 7, and both in the Northern California and Washington areas. And they're starting to build their own brick and mortar stores, either pop-ups, starting with pop-ups and then having bigger stores. Because I know Funko now has their headquarters store near where they make their toys, but they also do have another store that just opened in LA. They're looking to, if that does well, expand it further out. Uh, Funko does remind me a whole lot of Toys R Us. The only difference is they make their own toys. I'm really, really interested to see how that company continues to grow. And if they're able to maintain the licenses and the products that they're developing and the interest in their, in their specific product. But also Super 7 has done a great job on doing specific sale pre-orders. And I mentioned on a previous show, only problem is it takes a long time for their product to get out. And that's what happens a lot with these smaller stores is they know that they have to sell such a perfect looking product in order for people to want to spend the extra dollar for it. They have to have it look immaculate. The articulation has to be great. Everything has to look good. The paint jobs, everything. Because they're going up against the big boys. And they want to make sure that their product shines in different ways. So I'm interested to see how these smaller toy companies that are going straight to the customer are going to be, you know, continuing to grow during this time. You know, I'm really curious to see if they end up creating a whole new trend with toy companies building their own stores. Uh, McFarland has his own store and I think with Glendale. So it's, it's interesting to see how this field continues to change. That's some good points. I think you talk about a Super 7, for example, and the products they sell too, they're only going to sell what they sell on pre-order. And that pre-order is only going to be open for so long. And once it's closed, that's all they're producing. So if you want to get in on those, you have to get in on the ground level. Otherwise, you're looking at having to do it on the secondary market, which is going to be a premium for something like that. That model could be sustainable, and it might actually be where, where the industry has to go, at least when it comes to you know, maybe niche figures or, or specific types of figures or lines. We talk about Funko. Funko is an interesting one because you know, my wife and I, we collect pops. I know, you know you and your wife do too as well, Brian. And, you know, whether they're toys or not, we can have that discussion on, a, on another show. But, <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that, you know, we've been saying for years, like, okay, the, the bottom's got to drop out like Beanie Babies at some point, but they just keep going and they're able to sustain it. It's going to be interesting to see, like, how much longer they can sustain that. I hope they keep sustaining it. You know, I think the problem's going to become, when do they run out of licenses? Because it's hard to think of a license that they don't have at this point. I know. I mean, they're, they're digging deep. I mean, we think of the Golden Girls. I mean, even doing board games for very specific things. Like I mentioned the Golden Girls. I mean, but I, I love their creativity. I, I do love that. But it, it's interesting to see how they've grown from being a dude that would walk around with prototype wacky wobblers to the things from another world store at Universal Hollywood to having his own multi-billion dollar company and facility in Washington is just phenomenal to me to see how that's grown. I, and I remember I worked for a company for a short period of time that sold sports cards and pop culture memorabilia. This is around the time where Yu-Gi-Oh was really popular, but they sold the Wacky Wobblers. And 
those things would fly off the shelf. So that had a, had a pretty large following already. Now I know that within that community, some people don't like the pops, you know, some people transitioned from wacky wobblers into pops, but the pop industry is just huge. And, you know, for me, some of those pops I got into to kind of keep myself from going into other toy lines, like I have the Power Rangers pops, I have He-Man pops. That was kind of to satiate that want. Obviously that hasn't worked, but they just put out a cool product. It's so affordable and you can kind of stick it on your shelf and it's a reminder, you know, of something that you, you really love. They've kind of, I think, done it right, you know, and we talk about some of these other places, you know, and open their own stores like Think Geek. Think Geek is an example of a, of a place that did it and it didn't, it didn't turn out so well. And I think they tried to open too many stores too fast. And I don't know if it's GameStop owns Think Geek or Think Geek owns GameStop. I know it's, they have a relationship there, but, you know, GameStop is kind of teetering on the edge now. It is. And to clarify that, I know you're wondering about that. So ThinkGeek is a brand underneath GameStop. It was always owned by the larger corporation of GameStop. But ThinkGeek had its own kind of brand and, and number of stores. We actually still have one left here in the Central Florida area in uh, the Florida Mall. And I've been there quite a few times. And it was a really cool store. And it was a great concept. And I think uh, a really a waste, a wasted opportunity. I think it was a really great idea that they didn't see all the way through. But it, it's sad to see how that went down. But GameStop, as we know, has its positives and its negatives. But I will say that it's one of the few stores still left that caters to a specific community of collectors and gamers. There's really no other company that does that outside of smaller toy stores or the toy companies themselves. It's really one of the only places where you can buy a straight-up collectible outside of what you mentioned earlier, like Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. I mean, there are very limited places where you can buy very specific higher-end collectibles. You can't go and buy a Dan McFarlane statue or, or a sideshow item or anything. You can't buy that at a Target or Walmart. Now, Target and Walmart are starting to expand out to get NECA items and to get more of those areas because they see that there's now a a hole in that, you know, that needs to be filled, that there is an opportunity for them to get a larger audience, a different audience in there. So we'll see how it continues to grow. The only problem is you have a company that doesn't understand the product or the people it's selling to. And when you do that, you have a great chance of turning away that customer and just becoming a, basically a distributor for resellers. And that's what we're seeing right now in the Targets and Walmarts. And GameStops, we don't see that because they offer specific pre-orders that you can go in store to do. And I do appreciate that about GameStop is if you go in there and pre-order it through them in the store, you just put a $5 hold and you get that collectible item you need. You can't do that in a Walmart and Target. You have to fight the bots online in order to get a pre-order in. Yeah. Pre-ordering online with Walmart is kind of like the Hunger Games, in my opinion, you know? <laughs> you know, you kind of talk about Target and Walmart, and I know that they've both kind of put some of the higher-end stuff online, but my suspicion there is that they're kind of ordering it third-party, so they have a relationship with that company, and it's kind of drop-shipping from there. I don't think that Target or Walmart actually stocks that in their warehouse. But by and large, you know, they're not going for some of those niche collectibles like you said they've got some NECA in the uh 
both Walmart and Target have that section now where they've got some NECA stuff, the Gundam Universe stuff that I've talked about on the shows. So they have a little bit, but they kind of like keep it under a certain price point. So if you're looking for something a little bit more expensive, you're going to have to go direct to get that. Absolutely. And don't forget about your local comic shops. You know, you can definitely order a lot of those items through Diamond through your local comic shop. And usually they'll do a great discount for you. A lot of those local comic shops will get you up to 35 to 40% off an item if you pre-order it through that. So, you know, do take advantage of that. That's a really good point. I think that your local comic book shop or your local collectible shop, some of them do that. Some of them focus more on vintage, so they're not going to kind of offer that service. But, you know, those are good to support your local businesses. And obviously, if we don't support those guys, they're going to go away because they're competing with those bigger stores. So I think that's really good. But yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see where the landscape goes, you know, five, 10 years down the line and see where the industry is. Because I think that we've seen a big shift. Obviously, you just can't walk into a brick and mortar store like you used to. And because you have less brick and mortar, you have more people competing when they are going to brick and mortar. And obviously when you do it online, you have to be on your computer at the right time to pre-order it if it's something hot. You mean like me on my uh, honeymoon in the middle of the Smoky Mountains and in the car while my wife is in visitor center and I'm waiting on the Hasbro toy shop, formerly known as Hasbro toy shop. Uh, refreshing the page so I could buy an SDCC exclusive. Do you think that's taken it too far? Uh, uh, I can't say that I haven't done something similar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not on my honeymoon, but I definitely got a big toy on my honeymoon. I got the shuttle Tidarium when we were down here. It used to be Once Upon a Toy, I think was the name of the store. And yes, it's yep. still there. It's just not yeah. really a toy store anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shadow of its former self, but they it had really the is. Saga Collection Shuttle Tidarium. And I looked over and she's like, just get it and shipped it home. And so, yeah, I guess that's similar. But yeah, you know, I know I've been irritated at work because I'm in a meeting and I'm like, I can't be available yes. for the pre-order. Yes. Like, you know, asking friend, hey, can you order an extra one for me or something like that? So, oh my gosh, I've it, been there. It can get frustrating. But I think, that's kind of a good segue, Brian, as we kind of wrap this up here. What are you looking forward to that's coming out? June for me means the follow-up to what was launched at New York Toy Fair, which was the TMNT movie two-packs coming to Walmart. I know I said the word Walmart, so come on, Walmart. Don't fail me on this one. I really need to find these. So what's coming out in June this month is going to be the the original 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film came out in 1990. Uh, all the creature work was done by Jim Henson Studios in conjunction with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, who were there on set each day to help out with this film. If anyone who's a Ninja Turtles fan like myself, it is the literally the perfect example, iteration of the Turtles in live action form. You could not do a better film than that one. It still stands up to this day. What was really impressive about these figures that are coming out this year, specifically the two that are coming out in June, is from a great scene in the beginning of the film where we see Casey Jones meet Raphael for the first time. And as we know about me is I love the renegade, smart aleck, uh, hot-headed characters. 
And uh, with Raphael and Casey, they literally are mirrors of each other. You know, they do, uh, they, they love to fight and uh, they love to get in trouble. And the two of them are trying to both do something positive and helping a lady get her purse back. And they're fighting these uh, kids who are eventually we find out are working for the foot. They're trying to knock these kids around and teach them a lesson. In that scene, you have Raphael in his disguise. And the figure is going to be a six inch based on the similar style that was done for the GameStop exclusives uh, last year, which were originally an STC exclusive that came in a really cool VHS tape, which I do have, uh, box. The Raphael is going to be in his trench coat with his fedora. And Casey, a first ever Casey Jones film version. But one thing to know about the Casey Jones film version is they couldn't get the likeness rights for the face from the original actor. So what they had to do was the mask is not removable. Ugh. So a lot of us are frustrated by that, but we understand. So the, the hockey mask that Casey Jones wears is never coming off his face and there's no alternate head. So, but he, he looks great. It's a two pack of those two from that moment where they're fighting in central park later on in the year, they're going to be releasing a two pack from the secret of the Ooze, the second film, our first figures from the second film, Toka and Razor, which are the two mutant characters that we see in the second film, followed by a deluxe figure coming out of the super shredder, which is going to be awesome. That was played by, for those who are wrestling fans, Diesel was also part of the NWO, but uh, he played the physical version of Super Shredder. Obviously not the voice, but he was his physical stature of Super Shredder. But there's a deluxe figure pack coming out with Super Shredder towards, uh, I believe, the end of the year, towards the fall of this year. But the two pack for Raph and Casey come out this month in June and then followed very quickly by Toka and Razor. That's what I'm pumped about. Uh, what about you, Chris? What's coming up for you? So for me, you know, you have Power Rangers Lightning Collection Wave 5. And this is an exciting wave for a couple of reasons. So you have the Mighty Morphin Power Ranger Blue, which is Billy, which completes our mainstay of Rangers. Now, as I mentioned, I think in a previous show, we need the Black Ranger without the Dragon Shield. But at least now you have all of that team, which is pretty cool. You've also got the Zeo Gold Ranger, which is the second instance they've done. So this is the tray of Treforia instead of uh, Jason. But I missed out on the Jason. It was a San Diego Comic-Con two-pack with the Red Ranger with the Dragon Shield and Jason as the Zeo Gold Ranger. But my plan for this is to buy the Zeo Gold Ranger in the single pack with the tray of Treforia head and to just take that head off and either put Jason's head on it or always just have the helmeted version. And then you have Time Force Red, which I'm still debating if I'm going to get into that one. But the one that everyone's excited about is the Ranger Slayer. So that's from the Mighty Morphin comic book series, Shattered Grid, and some of that timeline there. But Ranger Slayer is, is Kimberly as kind of serving Tommy when she's evil. It's kind of a cool concept. It's pink and black. It really looks really good. And it's really cool that Hasbro is kind of going and giving us figures from the comic. And granted, these comic books are pretty new, but I know there's been some other comics out there as well. So that's pretty exciting. That Ranger Slayer is going to be on everybody's list and kind of looking at the case breakdown. It's unfortunate because I think she's one per case. So I'm trying to get her online because I think it's going to be hard to find her in stores. 
A lot of places are already pre-sold out of her. Oh, wow. I was going to say, it's always hard to find that one per case, right? I think uh, we could all relate to that. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they went one per case on on that one, just kind of knowing the response that they got to that figure at Toy Fair. But, you know, we've seen Hasbro revise things in other lines and re-release stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised. Hopefully they get it out there in good numbers, but if you usually watch Hasbro Pulse, stuff will come back in stock unless it's something really hot. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that's around the June time frame. And then you have Wave 3 of Gundam Universe. So we're finally getting Wave 3. And that has the RX-79 EZ-8 Gundam along with the Wing Zero Gundam from Endless Waltz and the Strike Gundam. Now, all three of those look gorgeous. I can't say as I know the other two real well, but I know the Wing Gundam from Endless Waltz. Not my favorite Gundam from that series, but it's still a pretty cool looking Gundam. So I'm probably all in on that wave. And then the last thing to kind of wrap it up, and I'm not quite sure, I think these are going to be around the June, July timeframe, would be the Black Series, the wave with Kit Fisto. The and Jedi wave, yes, that's what I'm calling it. Yes. Yeah. Finally, you know, we get some Jedi from, from those prequels that, yeah. Everybody wants, you know, Plo Koon, Kit Fisto, and we're going to get the Anakin and Obi-Wan. And I'm excited because Plo Koon, I think it's Plo Koon, is coming with the cloak, which I wish they would do for yes. all the Jedi. But Why is Kit Fisto not getting a cloak? I didn't understand that one either. I didn't either. And I, I know that you can go aftermarket. There's people on Etsy and some other yeah. areas that sell those. And I've been meaning to look into that for some of my other Jedi, but I'm really excited to be getting those figures because I've been waiting for a long time. You know, it's crazy to think because it still seems like a quote unquote new line. Didn't they have three and three quarter that they were calling the black series? Yeah. It still had the same color card with the, with the orange line through it on the side. If I remember because they released a few, by the way, the bubbles on that were ridiculously terrible. They kept coming off. They had to tape them. It was a mess. I do remember I think they did like uh, Plagueis on that card too, if I remember correctly. Well, you're right. It was released on the card you're thinking of. For a while there, yeah. they ran simultaneously. So they had three and three quarter inch black series and then six inch black series. And right. I think that ended when they reintroduced the vintage collection again. Yeah. And when they decided to move away from three and three quarter super articulated eventually and then decided to go back to it once yeah. they realized that the it what the market wasn't going the way they thought it was so we're yeah. you know it's exciting to get some of those prequel characters that we've all been wanting and i think there's you know what well, we can talk about the sequel trilogy and the toys for that you know at, at another show but i think it's interesting that there's kind of this nostalgia that's coming about for the prequels and people want those and it's nice to see some of these characters coming out and i know there's still quite a few characters that people want I'm excited to get these. So, you know, I know you and I have both talked about these. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I got all mine pre-ordered as well. On this month in Toys and Collectibles History. Let's take you back to the hot rods and cruising of the 1950s with our latest moment in Toys and Collectibles history. It was back in June of 1957 when Charles Lazarus turned what was a fairly successful children's furniture store in Washington, D.C. into what we know today as Toys R Us. 
This place where we didn't want to grow up saw a lot of success, which reached a total of 800 stores in the U.S. and another 800 around the world. For 65 years, everyone wanted to be a Toys R Us kid, but in September of 2017, they filed for bankruptcy. And in the following two years, closed their doors in the U.S. and most countries, with only Canada remaining. Recently, Toys R Us has rebranded as True Kids with two locations in the U.S., one in its starting city of New Jersey and another in the Galleria in Houston, Texas. True Kids has plans to expand in the coming years, and time will tell if Jeffrey will make a most triumphant return to our toy landscape. What you mentioned, I think we'll cover in, in future, is a very limited amount of merchandising that came out both figure and just overall toys in general for uh, especially rise of skywalker if not for the entirety of the sequel trilogy after the initial hit with the midnight madness for force awakens i feel like after that first launch it it really took a dive for the less and less and less so i'm curious i mean a lot of figures that have never actually been released that were supposed to be that never really hit stores. So I'm sure we'll cover that in future shows, but something to, to, to kind of chew on, guys, in, in the in-between is kind of where, where have all, not only where have all the toy stores gone, but where have all the sequel trilogy characters and figures gone? Because those have never really hit. Yeah, that'll be a fun show. Yeah, I look forward to it. I guess that does it for us this month in June. And We'll catch back with you in July where you hear some more ramblings from two overgrown kids. Well, Brian, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Come back next month to hear us talk toys and collectibles on Thrill of the Hunt, a collector's podcast. Until next time, we wish you good luck on your toy hunt. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, we would love a five-star review on iTunes. You can find Thrill of the Hunt, a collector's podcast on Facebook at Thrill of the Hunt Collector Podcast. There you can interact with us and find links to our other social media channels. The thoughts, views, and opinions expressed in this show are those of the hosts and belong solely to them. This podcast is not affiliated with any of the toy companies or licenses mentioned in the show. This show may not be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without express written consent from the host.